As we're on the verge of the vacation time, you heard a tremendous message yesterday on the matter of light on your life as you think about going into a time in which there can be real pressures that you haven't had in the same sense during the school year because of its structure, because of its accountability, and uh, I appreciated that practical message. That was a tremendous blessing. And I can't help but think, and we're not, this is not our passage for today, but 1 Timothy chapter 6 talks about fleeing. You, make, you don't make provision, you flee. And then you have follow and fight. Wonderful alliterated uh, outline there in, uh, uh, in the um, uh, scripture text. But I want to talk about the forward move that you need to have. In other words, we need to make provision so that we are not at all yielding to what would be normal temptations during this time. But I have found that when you have a passion for something and a purpose, that changes everything. And your mind is focused on the right, right thing. Henry Manning, during a period of uh, real depression and his faith was really being challenged and darkened, he went into a well-known bookstore to, to, for a copy of one of his own books uh, entitled Faith in God. <laughs> As he waited for the book to be sent from, up, uh, from the storeroom, he heard a man's voice call, down, uh, call up saying, Manning's faith in God is all gone. <laughs> and that, was, you know, the, that was exactly what he needed. That was a lesson. And so he got things right with God right away there. And the Lord used that simple little thing. But uh, uh, that's really where Satan wants to get you. That everything you've been hearing doesn't work for you. And he gets you focused on yourself. And you begin to look at everything else. And uh, you can be uh, very, very uh, discouraged. One evening, a young Air Force uh, captain at uh, Willis Air Force Base in Tripoli came into a Christian's men's banquet very late. Uh, they, they were all uh, finishing the meal. He was still in his flying gear, and his face wore the marks of weariness and strain. He was the president of the group, so he walked up to the front and got their attention, thanked everyone for coming, and apologized for being late. Then, in a voice laden with emotion, he said, Men, it has been a hard day. Flying out of Turkey, I had difficulty with the radio. In fact, I finally lost it altogether. Then, when I approached the landing field the gear would not go down. I circled and circled and circled, and, but still the gear would not go, go, go down. As he was thinking of a crash landing, something in him told him, circle the field once more time. As he circled it, the landing gear was clear of whatever it was being held back, and uh, he was able to land. And he made the simple little statement. He said, there is nothing like it when you know that God is in the cockpit with you. Well, young people, that's what I want you to realize. You're not in this alone. It isn't even your uh, great decisions of what you're going to do. He's not going to tell you what to do and leave you because you can't do it. But he will be with you every step of the time. I think one of the most important lessons in life to learn is that the Spirit of God is right there moment by moment and will meet every need if you're conscious of Him and yielded to Him. That's when you have ongoing victory. That's when you have 
wisdom. That's when you have the ability to make the right decision uh, in, a, in a key moment. That's when the Holy Spirit keeps you from saying what you shouldn't say and reacting like you shouldn't react. It's very real. See, the Lord Jesus knew what the, his disciples were going to go through, and what did he say about this one that was coming? What word did he use? He was going to be the comforter, the paraclete, which means one called alongside. In other words, we have God moment by moment. You're not going to be flying alone. Some of you actually are going to be in certain circumstances where you're going to feel very alone. Uh, because you're just not in a setting in which very many people understand what you believe and who you are. Others of you will have all kind of reinforcement around you uh, during these days. But regardless of your situation, you are not flying alone. Turn with me to the well-known passage in Philippians chapter 3 where you see Paul's passion. And I want to go over a couple of very familiar verses here today, but this matter of, of realizing you're not alone is really the theme of what I want you to get a hold of. You've got to realize that you're not. Now, the fact is you're not, but there's a lot of facts we don't get a hold of. For instance, there's a fact. Sin does not have to have dominion over you. That's a fact based upon the word of God. We are risen with Christ. That's a fact. It's not a promise. It's a fact. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a fact, not a promise. And yet we don't awaken, we're not awakened because of our own wrong focus to these wonderful and glorious truths uh, that are truly in our life. Well, the Apostle Paul, just, just you can just sense the Spirit of God allows him uh, just to share his heart as he had given his testimony about how he had uh, come out of uh, the uh, background of the uh, Pharisees. And he was a man that was earning everything. And I mean, he was at the top of the heap. And though he wasn't saved at this time, a lot of Christians are in that same mentality. I'm trying to earn my way into spirituality. And uh, he says then in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, here's my heart cry for you here uh, to, uh, today. If you will go into these next three weeks, because your, your altered schedule actually could be an enormous blessing spiritually to you. But it won't be if your guard's down. But if you go in with light, as you heard very well preached yesterday, and then with the purpose that the Apostle Paul has here, Young people, it will be a glorious three weeks, no doubt. That I may know him. You know, when you really want to get to know somebody, that's a big deal. And God wants us to have that kind of heart. He wants a personal relationship with us. See, the distinctive of Bible Christianity is that uh, we not only believe that our Savior rose again after he died for us, but that he now can be known personally. 
that we can actually know him better than if we were like the disciples with him in person on earth. Now, young people, I want you to get hold of this. The king of heaven who loves you so much that he came, this one that we're talking about so much at Christmas time, this one that created you and made you exactly like you are, he wants to know you and for you to know him. I just really want to challenge you. Say, Lord, in these unique several weeks with all kind of variety of things I'm going to do, Lord, I would love to get to know you better. The Lord wants that. Now, as we all know, it's, it's more than an intellectual understanding. I mean, if anybody had a, an intellectual understanding about the Old Testament, uh, it was the Apostle Paul. He had the great rabbinical teaching of Gamaliel, and he had historical uh, background. And, uh, and once he got saved, wow, he was taught by the Lord himself. That's why he was an apostle. He had things that uh, he couldn't even utter that were glorious when God uh, met with him. I mean, he had a tremendous education as God was preparing him to write the scripture. But Paul's desire was not to know about him, but was to know him. And if anybody could say, I know about him, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Now, you've got to understand this is written not at the front end of his ministry. This is written well into it as he's in his first imprisonment here. That I may know him. This should be the constant burden of any Christian's heart. Now, we've um, lost a little bit of the dimensions of what that word know means. As you know, in Scripture, um, uh, it's a... Uh, it's a word that um, is used of the most intimate relationships uh, in mankind. And it's not because the Bible is being extremely careful in its language when speaking of the physical relationship of man and a wife. It is because that's what the word means in the sense of the deepest intimate understanding of one another. You know, it's a shame that so much is just so darkened by sin and so yucky, you know, in our world today. But the idea of knowing is to have a, just that closest relationship. You think of the best friend you've ever had or the close relationship with your mother or your father. I trust you have had a good, wholesome, close relationship well, that's just a little bit of an idea of the depth of a relationship that God wants with you. Uh, and Jesus Christ especially, as he, uh, we can understand him because he has become one of us. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he the, in the incarnation. And so this deeply intimate uh, relationship is what is being talked about here. Now, when you look at men and women that God has used uh, in a great way, and there were, as their writings just pour out an understanding, you read just simply like Streams in a Desert, or you read uh, an Oswald Chambers, some of his writings, or an Andrew Murray, or others, you uh, are just struck by the fact that these people knew God. They knew God. 
I had a grandmother that knew God. Every word that she said about the Lord was like a, a jewel. It burned in your heart when you talked to her. I had parents that knew God. I've known people that really knew God. You know, it's not that God picks his special favorites, folks, and Satan wants you to think that. You decide whether or not you're one of his. And by the way, there are some people that are beloved to the Lord. Daniel was beloved. Why? Because he spent the time. He wanted to know God. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. And so, young people, it's your choice to have that intimate relationship. It is not something that some people have and other people say. If you want an ambition in life, and that's the wrong word because that's a self-centered perspective, but if you really do uh, want to have something that will drive you right through the pressures, drive you right through the times that you could really be tempted, it's this deep desire to know God and to begin to know Him in an intimate way that marks your thinking and who you are and it becomes very real to you. And let me just say, young people, that is going to be the key throughout your life. You're learning a lot about him. But there needs to be that deep personal um, intimacy. The practice of the, uh, the uh, presence of God, A.W. Tozer says, consists not on projecting an imaginary object from within his own mind and then seeking to realize its presence. There's some of that today in Bible Christianity talks about that. It is rather to recognize the real presence of the one whom all sound theology declares to be already there. You don't have to find God. You already have him. He's already present within you. You have him revealed in the word of God. He is right there. He is a God that is near. But you've got to open your heart to his real presence. Honestly, folks, we're fine without him. Yeah, life's good. No, we want to serve the Lord. We are dedicating our lives. We're here studying ministry. But, you know, you can go days and you're okay. See, what I'm talking about is when you're really in love with somebody, oh, man, you, you just you want to be with them. You want to. Uh, to um, just spend time talking to them. You want to know their heart. There's something so deep and so special about that relationship. It just is, it's overpowering. Well, I'm telling you, that's exactly what happens to a Christian who begins to really fall in love with Jesus Christ, if I can use that term. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if that was your goal this, this Christmas? Take all that you've learned and, uh, and open up your heart to his presence? I dare you. <laughs> really, I'm as serious as I can be. It's either going to be dark these few weeks or it's going to be the greatest time you ever had. It's not going to be in between. Because Satan is going to try to knock you out. But when you're walking with God, wow, you are in great, great shape. Someone asked evangelist Dwight Moody how he managed to remain so intimate in his relationship with Christ. He replied, I have come to him as the best friend I have ever found and can trust him in that relationship. 
I have believed he is the Savior. I have believed he is God. I have believed his atonement on the cross is mine. And I have come to him and submitted myself on my knees, surrendered everything to him, and gotten up and stood by his side as my friend. And there isn't any problem in my life. There isn't any uncertainty in my work. But I turn to speak to him as naturally as to someone in the same room. And I have done it these years because I can trust him. I've often said, you've heard me, especially in church, but I've often said, I've been around Christians like that. It was as natural as anything for Brother Himes' grandfather to just start talking to the Lord, and then he'd go back to talking to you. Now, Lord, you heard that. You need to do, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, am I? Sometimes you didn't know who he was talking to at that moment, you know. You think maybe there's somebody else in the room. Well, there was, but he was conscious of that. My grandmother was that way. She'd start talking, now, Lord, now you know that's a need. Now, I'm counting on you to do that. And then she'd be talking again. Now, Lord, you know. And uh, in other words, there was that awareness of God all the time. You know, there's great comfort in that. That's light, by the way. Okay? That's God's presence there. When you value the reality of his presence, you don't want anything to keep it from you. You don't want anything. Not only does it grieve God, but it grieves you because you don't want to lose that. And so uh, we need to have that heart. You know, we've often said uh, uh, about if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Uh, in other words, you will cherish what I have said. You know, we look at that as negative. No, if you love him, you want to know what he says. You want to know what he thinks. You want to know what he wants you to do. It's just such a wonderful thing. And keeping that thought in mind, John 14, 23 says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. There it is. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So if we're listening to what he has said and our hearts are open to him, there is an actual abiding reality of the Father and the Son through the indwelling Spirit of God. Now, young people, every one of you, if you have any heart for God, haven't you had a moment where Christ was very real? Isn't that, remember that? Remember when you surrendered something? Or all of a sudden, the truth just overwhelmed you. And all of a sudden, it was just so precious, so real. Or you had devotions, that, and the Lord met a deep need, and he was just like he was right there. He was. Now, our emotions go up and down, but that awareness ought to be all the time. How often are you to pray without ceasing? Is that, a, is that an exaggeration? Praying always with all prayer and supplication. It's just being God conscious. Now, young people, I hope you'll take this to heart. You see, this godly man here said that I may know him. I want to know him. Because he knew he could know him, and he did know him, and he wanted to know him better. You can have a corner on knowing God. It's your decision. And God's right there. It's never God holds himself from you. We hold ourselves from God. And so that's a desire. Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know him intimately? Do you want to learn to wake up in the morning and think about him? You want to learn that when you're going to sleep, you think about him. Um, 
is do you want to be able to have a conversation with him throughout the day? And to talk, listen, when you got a burden, all of a sudden you start talking to him and uh, all of a sudden the burden lifts, lifts a little bit because, wait a second, what am I, I've got him. I mean, he's going to give me the wisdom. He's going to solve this. He's going to hear my heart cry. And uh, you can talk with him. In fact, a good thing for you, I like to sometimes, I like to talk to the Lord out loud uh, at times. I've been embarrassed a few times. Uh, who are you talking to? Well, you don't want to sound real pious. I am talking to God, you know. Uh, so, uh, but uh, it just, uh, you ought to get caught sometimes talking to God. Don't think that'd be neat? And uh, don't be acting spiritual about it. But I mean, <clears throat> the point is that ought to be such a natural part of your life. Young people, do you realize what you have? Uh, it's just, a, it's an amazing thing. And then, because of that relationship, he wants uh, to have a powerful renewal, the Lord does, in us. Let's look back at our text, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his, uh, of his resurrection. I'm telling you, the one that you know has all power. And over and over, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God just makes it come screaming alive. Come on, Van, forget your worry. I'm God. <laughs> Sometimes you just smile, you can't help it. You think, oh, what an idiot I am, you know. Why in the world am I worrying about that? Uh, know him and the power of his resurrection. His desire did not stop with having an intimate knowledge, but he wanted to know that power so he could even have more strength in his relationship. And uh, now we all believe in the resurrection. We are excited about, aren't we? We'll really rejoice in that at Easter time. He proclaimed it. By the way, the message of the early church was certainly the cross, but did you know what the real message of the early church was? He arose. That was it. I mean, that was the mark of Bible Christianity. Jesus Christ came bodily out of the grave. And we often forget that that empty tomb crushed, was the evidence of the crushing of Satan and the victory over sin. So that means that if we are in full fellowship with God, that uh, we are then able to experience the power of the victory of the resurrection on a regular basis because the resurrected Christ is in us through the indwelling spirit of God and we were identified in his resurrection. It became our resurrection. And so therefore... Uh, as uh, verse 24 of the end of chapter uh, 7 of Romans says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord. And, uh, and so uh, he wanted to understand this power. Now, in that day, the Roman Empire, uh, they lived with that great a threat of power. Every, I mean, the legions would move through the different regions just to show the power of the Roman Empire. And if you rebelled, oh boy, they would come and crush you. It was raw power. It was not the elegant uh, culture of the Babylonians or even the uh, somewhat of the Medo-Persians and the Greeks. It was just raw political power. 
And uh, he uses this, the power of his resurrection. Well, the power of Rome compared nothing uh, to the power of Jesus. The big power that needs to be conquered, though, is sin. And um, young people, please understand that Jesus already paid the price and won the victory for your sin. You really don't have to fear these next few weeks. If you are in the light, if you are making provision, if you're being humble, you're being honest, you're communicating, there's nothing secret, and you're open with the Lord, when you know him, now get this, when you know him, see, if you don't have a passion for an intimate relationship, you're not going to know the power of the resurrection. Because it's not a quantity in itself. It is the reality of a victorious person. It is a person who will give you victory over sin. It is a person who will say Satan must flee. I mean, you can honestly start a day and know that Satan cannot touch you. When you are in fellowship with God, you have resisted him and Satan will flee. You can start a day and knowing that you have yielded yourself and you are in communication to the Lord and you're being honest and doing everything he said, he will give you power over that sin because he won the victory. And uh, we can live out the resurrection. Uh, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. And, um, and it's very interesting. It says here in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 10, uh, and the power of resurrection and the fellowships of, fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto death. Now, let me take just a moment on this. All right, I think we all say, well, that's a good goal. I need to know him this Christmas time. All right. And I certainly need his power. But there's the fellowship of his sufferings. What did Jesus suffer for on the cross? Your sin, right? Now, your flesh wants to sin. Have you ever noticed that? Did you, did you know that the very, the very intricacy, uh, oh well, the complexities of your, of your life uh, all are woven around this desire to sin? Honestly, folks, if we, if we started catalog, cataloging today, well, you were proud here, you had a wrong thought here, your motive was definitely self here. Uh, you were this and that. Oh, man, I mean, it's a bad deal, isn't it? I mean, uh, even right now, some of you are out in Zululand, you know, uh, and it's not because you're, some of you are tired, but it's just that your mind isn't focused on the Lord. You know, there's all kinds of, uh, the flesh just doesn't want to yield to the Lord. Have you ever noticed every decision to surrender uh, to sacrifice, to be honest, to be humble hurts initially, right? I mean, there's uh, just, oh, it's just painful. And uh, we need to realize that if we're going to know him and if we're going to be experiencing his power, then that means that there is going to be victory over sin and the ability to do what God wants us to do, which means that there will be a struggle that will be won all the time if you're trusting the Lord, but it isn't just a natural thing. 
you have to go against. Uh, and also, uh, Satan's going to do everything he can to make it difficult for you to make the right decisions. And, uh, and so he says, now I want to know the suffering. I want to understand what he did for me. I want to be made conformable unto his death. I don't want to be alive, alive in the flesh. I only want to be alive spiritually. For, uh, for me to live is Christ. I am crucified with Christ. There, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. These are all very real, real concepts. Now, can I just be honest? We as Americans don't like to suffer. Right? Uh, Fasting, why don't we do it more when we could have everything God wants for us if we'd fast and pray? We don't want to. Why don't we get up earlier to meet with the Lord because the flesh doesn't want to? Why don't we uh, get honest with our parents because the flesh doesn't want to? Why isn't Christ important to us? Because the flesh doesn't want it. You go right down the line there are so many things uh, that initially seem to be suffering. But, of course, the more you walk with the Lord, you realize, man, to get that, get that gone, you're free of suffering. I mean, it's totally different. And then there's persecution. The minute you start living for God, did you know there's persecution even at BCM? Somebody gets on fire here and you can be a little bit, um, eh, come on, don't get quite so... Don't get quite so on fire here, you know. I know how it goes. Believe me, I was in college. I know how those nuances are. But when you know the Lord, you can't help but talk about him. When you know the Lord and his power, you can't, you, you want to see God work. You want everybody else to have it. I think it's about time we have some radical believers around here. Don't you think we, uh, listen, we need to reach the world. There is a huge, a huge, uh, opportunity for us and uh, yet these things that we know we embrace we believe we do not make provision for them to happen Paul said I'm putting everything aside that's it that I may know him that I may know the power of his resurrection I want to prove that and I want and I want to even understand the heart of my savior as he suffered for me as he as he suffered with the world as he was mocked. I don't want any self-protection in my flesh. I need to be willing to give of myself. Well, I mean, he really was deprived at times. He knew how to, to abound and he knew how to be abased. He went hungry and he had a lot. He was well-liked and, and he was debased and he was imprisoned and all these different things. And he understood more and more, as Colossians chapter 1 says, the afflictions of Christ, he had the same heart as Christ. You've heard the illustration, but I think it's great. John Wesley really knew the Lord. And he was riding along a road one day when it dawned on him that th three whole days had passed on which he had suffered no persecution. Not a brick or an egg had been thrown at him for three days. Alarmed, he stopped his horse and exclaimed, Can it be that I have sinned and am backslidden? Slipping from his horse, Wesley went down on his knees and began interceding with God to show him where, if any, there had been a fault. A rough fellow on the other side of the hedge, hearing the prayer, looked up and recognized the preacher. I'll fix that Methodist preacher, he said, picking up a brick and tossing it over at him. It missed its mark and fell harmlessly beside Brother Wesley. Uh, whereon he leaped to his feet, 
joyful exclaiming, thank God it's all right, I still have his presence. You say, well, that's a, that's a little extreme. Yeah. Well, why did God use John Wesley? Anybody you ever read about escape suffering? Did you appreciate? No. It's all different. Never the same. Just ourselves, the flesh. But then there's the persecution. You see, if we really knew, wanted to know him, we wouldn't care what people thought. You know, it's about, I'm honestly, folks, it's about time. We have a generation of your age bracket that are just all in, period. Christ is all in all. If you're willing to go to the, the far ends of the earth, you're willing to do right, all the matter of what we can do and not do, all this stuff you don't care about, you just want to please God. I mean, you are sold out to Christ. That's where the power comes, folks. And you're willing to take the opposition when it comes. And uh, he desperately wanted that. And then, finally, uh, let me just uh, finish with uh, the next verse there, verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Uh, this was his, uh, his real goal. Um, he, he wanted to live out uh, that resurrection. It was just unique. There was a ek is on that uh, word. And uh, the word resurrection literally means to, to place or stand up. And, um, and so he says, I want to know him so that, um, that the resurrection of Christ will be seen and lived out in my life. In other words, I want to show the greatest thing in the world, the victory over sin, death, and hell, and Satan, and the power that brought a man out of the grave. I want to be that living example of that reality. As I walk in your streets, as I walk into your homes, as I walk into your stores, as I walk into your offices, as I mingle among the sons of men, I want to be so living for Christ, so outstanding for him, that you can see that I'm a living one among the dead ones. We need to be obviously seen. We are part of the resurrected crowd. And uh, I don't think American Christians have very much of that testimony. Today, And that was his heart cry, that he would know him so well. So, so much more could be said. But young people, as we talk about these next few weeks, I really want to challenge you. And again, as Dr. Jim encouraged you yesterday, you need to talk to maybe some people to even be open with and accountable with. But I would love for some of you to take the challenge that I want to know him like I've never known him. You already have him. Don't look for an experience. Just say, I, I want to so walk in the light. I want to so be open. I want to so not have something hidden. That, and, I'm, and I'm going to take the time. I am going to take the time. And I want to have the right kind of reading. But I would like to pursue this matter of understanding who, what I have in Christ and know him that much better and actually be aware of him. You know, you ought to take each day that you're out and think about how much did you Think about him through the day. How real was he to you? How much did you talk to him? How much did you experience that power? And some of you may have some suffering just because you're excited for the Lord and some of your situations may not be so excited to have you do that. 
But I, I really want to encourage you, you can't just be on the defense, you've got to be on the offense. And also that's going to be reaching people with Christ, uh, for Christ. Uh, if you're excited about the Lord, you're going to be talking to people about it. So I know how it goes. There'll be just a couple of you that'll take this challenge. I hope a lot more. But the couple that take the challenge will never be the same. When you meet with Jesus, your life has changed. And you don't even have to tell us. We'll be able to look at you. We'll just know. I'm so thankful that Dr. Jim, when he was a junior in college, started on that pursuit to know Jesus. As his older brother, I could, say, I could see there's something different. He's met with Jesus. And he'd say it was small compared to now, but it was real, wasn't it? And I knew something had happened to him. I love it when teenagers, that's what all of you high school teachers and junior high, when they meet Jesus, they're never the same. Listen, that's what you're made for. You're made for him. The delight of life is Jesus. And when you really get to know him, everything changes. And I know these are going to be busy days, but I felt very burdened beyond the offense. But I'd love to have some of you we can't explain when you come back. Wow. <laughs> Hallelujah. You not only kept away from sin, you really lived with the Lord. And uh, that'll, that'll make all the difference next semester. And I'm telling you, revival is simply a life again of Christ in us. I long for us not to just have a good semester next semester. I've got a great Victor Conference planned, a spiritual awakening conference. God's going to work, but I'd love to see a lot more than that. But it's our choice that I may know him.